Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Here's something I've been thinking about. You got Washington in the national championship game, Oregon twice this season. Losing close games to Washington, lost by three at Washington in a game the Ducks probably should have won. I think even Washington knows the Ducks probably should have won that game. Lost by three in the national, or excuse me, in the conference championship game in a game where Washington looked better. I thought Washington was the better team for the Pac-12 championship game. Um, maybe Washington evolved at that point of the season. Maybe Oregon had an off day. I don't know, but I thought Washington played a little better that game than Oregon did. I thought Oregon outplayed Washington at Husky Stadium, but lost the game anyway. Should have kicked field goals. Should have uh, made better decisions. Um, Oregon State, two-point loss to Washington. Washington State, a three-point loss to Washington. Arizona State had Washington on the ropes. I I think the Pac-12 was really good this year. I I can come away with no other conclusion than the Pac-12 was really good. Washington's battle-tested. They'll be in this game against Texas because of that and be better. They were in the game against Texas because of that and were better off for it. Now they're in this game against Michigan and they've got all these close victories in their pocket. And it has me thinking about next year. Even though Monday is the title game, how far away is Oregon? Can they replace Bo Nix? What are the questions the Ducks need to answer? We'll talk to about Oregon State coming up, but Spencer McLaughlin, Hosts a podcast. It's called Locked on Ducks, Locked on the Pac-12. You can also find his work at 750thegame.com. Spencer, let's talk about the Ducks and what they need to do between now and this season opener next season. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I mean, I I can't get enough of college football, and it just saddens me to my core that it's going to end on Monday and we'll have to endure eight grueling months without it. The only saving grace in that time really is uh, for me, is March Madness, but I, I, I am uh, I'm doing well overall, and I, I think you, you frame the discussion exactly right about you know where Oregon is at, looking ahead to next year, and how close they really were. I've been thinking about that a lot over the last 48 hours or so. Is Washington, you know, I think outplayed Texas more thoroughly than they did in either meeting against the Ducks, and I agree with you. I think Oregon outplayed Washington, but did not win the game in Seattle, but Washington outplayed them. Uh, you know, mostly start to finish, save for a you know quarter and a half stretch in the middle of the game there when Oregon went on a twenty-one nothing run and took the lead. I, I think that Washington has been really good. I think the Pac-12 was. I talked about this on Lockdown Pac-12 the other day. It was every bit as good as we thought it was. You know, I had some people asking me questions about was the Pac-12 overrated? They had all, all these ranked teams, and and then there were only four of them at the end of the year. And look how they're doing in bowl games. Like, well, first of all. They sent an undefeated champion to the playoff, and they had eight ranked teams at one point. Eight teams after three weeks of college football. Eight teams were in the top 25, and nobody else had that. And if that had happened in the SEC, you would have viewed those losses really differently in the college football world because you'd look at it and say, well, it's just a bunch of good teams beating up on each other. And guess what? It was just a bunch of good teams beating up on one another. I mean, USC, for goodness sake, with their backup quarterback, took on the team that played in the ACC championship game and beat them by two touchdowns. I, I mean, that, that's just, you know, one example of several as to how good the Pac-12 really was this year. And 
Oregon was absolutely good enough to win it. And I think it really just came down to execution on game day. They just didn't. And it's, it's really that simple. Yeah, and I think the I kept thinking about it in the Texas game because you could see it was a back-and-forth game. You know who Penix is. You know those receivers. And I thought, gosh, if you're Texas, this is not a position you want to be in because Washington has been in these games all season long against good teams, has had to find a way to win on defense, had to find a win, way to win with Penix. I mean, they just has to complete a first-down pass to beat Oregon State, has to do it against Oregon, has to get a stop. You know, they did it all season long. This is just kind of what they do. But as I spring towards next season, there's no Bo Nix at Oregon. Dan Lanning's in year number three. What questions are looming on your mind, Spencer, as you look at Oregon and the Big Ten, and what what's the first question they need to answer? How, how well does Dylan Gabriel fit into the offense? And I think he can do a lot of the things that Will Stein wants him to do. But I think the next question, and really it's more of a 1A, 1B in my mind, is what sort of team are you going to have around Dylan Gabriel? Because this is a guy who two years ago at Oklahoma – led them to, you know, he missed a couple of games, but they were six and seven. They weren't that great of a team. He came back and they had a 10 and two year. Why? Because the team around him got a lot better. So if you give him a good team, a good defense, good weapons, a good running game and all that, I think he can have, you know, a better, uh, better set of receivers maybe, but certainly a, a more potent running game. I wasn't always impressed with what I saw from Oklahoma on the ground this year. Uh, at Oregon compared to what he had, he can be a good enough quarterback to get you to where you want to go. That much is clear. However, I do not think that he is going to make a step forward the way that Bo Nix did at Auburn because Bo Nix wasn't playing that great of football at Auburn. But Dylan Gabriel this past year and the season prior, frankly, when you look at his stats, but we'll look at 2023 because it's a better comparison point. He played very well. He was a high high 60s per, per, uh, percentage completion guy. He went for over 3,600 yards. He ran for 12 touchdowns. He threw for 30. He only had six picks. That's, that's more than good enough. I don't think that he's got that much of another gear, and I think that's just what he is, and that's enough to get Oregon into the playoff and compete for the national championship, but the rest of the team has to be good enough to get Oregon there. So I think those are the two questions. Is how do you work him in, and then how do you support him? Dylan Gabriel, who is he? What is he? Is he Bo Nix? Is he, um, is he Tyler Shuck? Yeah, I mean, you give me, give me an idea what you think the Oklahoma transfer can be at Oregon. I think he's going to be his own kind of guy. You know, I mean, Anthony Brown certainly underwhelmed a lot of Oregon fans. You can look back and say that that was – coaching driven and it was but I don't think Brown was anything special and you know Shuck waited for a couple years had his shot and showed some good things but then didn't progress over the course of a year but it was a COVID season it was kind of wacky so maybe he could have been more and he's done well when he you know was starting at Texas Tech now he's off uh, to Louisville because they've got a young talented guy there in Lubbock uh, going into next season who you know the Ducks were going to play but now they're not going to play of course which I'm okay with because it means that Ducks are playing Oregon State in the Civil War. So I, yeah, I know some Oregon fans weren't as happy about that, but I'm I'm on the side of I'd rather play Oregon State than than Texas Tech. Full full stop. But I think that for Dylan Gabriel, you know, I think somewhere in between Anthony Brown and Bo Nix is kind of where I'd expect him to be. Maybe in the Vernon Adams camp. Ver- Vernon Adams was 
I actually even don't even know if I like Gabriel as much as Adams. I was really high on Vernon Adams yeah. once I saw him play at Oregon. I think if he doesn't get hurt, Oregon goes back to the playoffs that season because they were really, really good. And, and when he was there, he ran that offense at a high level. I think that's what he can be, a, a guy who can make big plays, do a little bit with his legs, and uh, push the ball down the field, but just execute the offense and utilize the weapons that are around you. I, I think Will Stein's got a guy who can do what he what he needs him to do to put up points, but I don't expect him to be a Heisman finalist like Bo Nix. Dan Lenning has this great recruiting class, top 10 class. Do you see immediate help? Do you see transfer portal help? Do you see holes plugged in Lanning's recruiting class? I, I think it's it's such a crapshoot in high school recruiting because w- when you bring in that many kids nowadays with how you can fill your roster with the transfer portal, in Oregon just earlier today, about 30 minutes ago, uh, got an announcement from Jeffrey Bossa that he's going to return for year four, which is huge, huge for Lanning's defense next year because he's a veteran guy second team all pack 12 he's also the signal caller uh on the defense so having jeffrey boston back i think is a big thing for 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 the ducks but when you put up a top 10 recruiting class it's pretty impossible to not like what landing is doing from a a talent acquisition standpoint and i i don't want 2024 to overlook the class that 2023 was which was also a top 10 recruiting class and had a bevy of defensive linemen three of whom played this year and more of whom are going to play next year because of departures from the interior of Oregon's defensive line. So I I think they did a really good job of bringing in plenty of talent. I I don't look at this roster, frankly, at any position group and think there's not enough talent, there's not enough depth, there's a glaring need there unless Terrence Ferguson were to decide to go to the NFL. We're talking to Spencer McLaughlin. You can catch him on the Locked on Ducks podcast and also read his work at 750thegame.com. Spencer, the expanded playoff, the Big Ten landscape, you're watching a Michigan team. Maybe Jim Harbaugh comes back, maybe he doesn't. Ohio State certainly is going to be Ohio State. What do you see in the rest of the Big Ten, and how difficult will it be for Oregon to contend, compete, get to the playoff? I, I think all of those goals are right there in front of the Ducks starting in year one. I I think that should be the expectation for Duck fans is for them to be in that conversation. And in the 12-team playoff, Oregon should be able to get in next year with the amount of talent they do have, the talent that they have brought in via the transfer portal, where the coaching staff is at. I think everything lines up for, yeah, Oregon should be able to be one of the top 12 teams. I I don't think you can – say, you know, demand as a fan, oh, got to be able to win the Big Ten. Ohio State and Michigan are really good. I don't know what Ohio State's doing at quarterback. I can't believe they passed on Cam Ward from Washington State to go with one of the young guys. It, it's kind of an old-school approach from Ryan Day to have a quarterback battle and a bunch of young dudes, but they did that this year, and it didn't work as well. But it's gone well for Michigan with J.J. McCarthy, too. But when you look at the Big Ten, they're going to uh, – 18 teams in it next year. So I guess it's the big 18, but that's neither here nor there. I look at that conference and say you can easily divide it up into three tiers. Tier one, your contenders. I think there are five or six schools in there. Tier two, good teams could maybe make a push. It wouldn't shock you, but eh, probably not going to happen. And then tier three, teams that are bottom dwellers or who are currently 
uh, in the midst of a significant rebuild, I think Oregon immediately slots into that top tier with Ohio State, with Washington, with Michigan. I think USC can have a bounce-back year, though there are a lot of physical football teams in the Big Ten, and Lincoln-Riley teams have struggled with those over the last couple of seasons. So we'll see how that goes, but I would lean towards putting them in that camp. I would not with UCLA, even with Chip Kelly there. But I think Penn State's probably at the bottom of Tier 1. And I think those are your contenders going into next season. And just like with the Washington games this year, it's going to come down to execution on game days. We're talking to Spencer McLaughlin. What do you think is going to happen in Monday's national championship game? Michigan-Washington. I think Washington wins. I think you hit the nail on the head coming out of the break talking about how battle-tested they are. And Jeff Schwartz tweeted this out the other day. Nothing phases them. There, there, there's, there's nothing about a football game that bothers Washington. And they have been in every spot you could possibly think of. Having to win the game with uh, their defense, which I think is a little bit underrated, and having to run the football sometimes and lean on the ground game. And their offensive line is better than everybody will give them credit for. You talk about Penix and the receivers. That only works with all those downfield shots because Penix has got so much time to throw. I just don't think that you can consistently get pressure on Michael Penix. If Oregon can't and Texas can't with their defensive lines, I don't know why Michigan's is significantly more talented. From what I've seen, they're you know all very good, all top ten, you know fifteen defensive fronts in college football. But guess what? Washington's got the best offensive line, and and if you've got that and those receivers, you just I don't know how you can really slow them down. And I don't think J.J. McCarthy is built for uh, a shootout. I I really don't. I'm not a huge J.J. McCarthy fan. He is competent, capable, solid. He's not exceptional. And Michael Penix is. And that Washington offense just puts so much pressure on, on teams to try and keep up. The only way Michigan wins is if they run for 250 yards or more. And that's a difficult thing to do, even against a Husky defense that's been just okay against the run. Oregon will play next season in conference play at UCLA. Uh, they'll have Michigan State at home. They'll have Ohio State at home, at Purdue, Illinois at home, at Michigan, Maryland at home, at Wisconsin, and, of course, Washington at home. Spencer, you can go to only one of those games. Which game are you going to? Oh, gosh, only one? I mean... Uh, you know, as a big Oregon fan, I, I haven't been to Autzen Stadium, tragically, because of college and, and my career taking me all over the place uh, since 2017. So I, I'm picking a game that's there. Do they have Ohio State there or Michigan? They have Ohio State at Autzen Stadium, and then they play at Michigan. Yeah, I mean, the Ohio State game would be pretty awesome, but I, I don't know how you don't pick the Washington game. Um because getting getting revenge in that spot would feel really really good for Duck fans, and doing it at Austin would be uh, would be a pretty sweet feeling and environment to be at. So um, I'm I'm an old school guy, and I'm not a fan of the realignment and whatnot. I talk about it all the time; it's fascinating, but I, I don't think it's overall a great thing for the sport. And you know, you talk about playing conference games against Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan. I mean, it's a tough lineup of teams, first of all. I think Luke Fickle's a good coach there in Madison and Michigan-Ohio State speak for themselves. But, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go with the Washington game, the game that you could have gotten if the Apple deal had been signed with the Pac-9 or 
you keep the ESPN deal with the Pac-10, or if USC doesn't decide to blow this stuff up for the Pac-12, like I, I, I'd go with that Washington game. Spencer McLaughlin, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you, man. Let's see what happens Monday. Yeah, pleasure, John. Thanks for having me on. Go Ducks. There he is talking about the Oregon Ducks. I'll talk about the Beavers. They have a path to the playoff as well. Schedule will be heavy with Mountain West Conference opponents, but I'll talk about the questions Oregon State must answer next. So we just talked about Oregon and their path to the expanded 12-team playoff next season. Questions certainly at quarterback. I still need to see the defense at Oregon play better, take another step forward. I thought they took a step forward this year. I think there's a coaching elevation or an advancement that could be made on the defensive side of the ball from defensive coordinator Tosh Lapoy. I thought Oregon had a better season in general on defense. Um, need want to see another step forward. I think they're that close to the four-team playoff. I do think that the Big Ten presents some different challenges. I look at Oregon's schedule next season, and I certainly, uh, the games at Michigan and home against Ohio State jump off the schedule. But it's the games like, you know, at UCLA, Michigan State, at Purdue, at Wisconsin, and Washington that probably are going to make or break Oregon's season. I I think that there's room for Oregon, Washington, Ohio State, and Michigan all to dream about the playoff, but I kind of wonder in a 12-team playoff, will the Big Ten get three? Somebody's going to get left out, aren't they? USC? Somebody's going to get left out. Meanwhile, Oregon State has a little different math that is going on. Wholly different equation. Oregon State next season will play this schedule. And I just want to read out the schedule because it gets important when we talk about whether or not Oregon State can qualify and get one of the 12 playoff berths for next season. They're going to play Ohio, Idaho State, Idaho State, not Ohio State, at San Diego State, Oregon at home, Purdue at home, at Cal, Washington State at home. Let's just start with those first six games of the season. This is not a Jonathan Smith coach team. It's Trent Bray. There's some questions about depth. There's some questions about the turnover. It's a first-year coaching staff. But would it be inconceivable? I'm not saying likely, but would it be inconceivable that Oregon State could start next season in those first six games and be sitting at 4-2, and 5-1, and one, if they really put it together? Because Idaho State, San Diego State, Oregon, probably a loss, Oregon. Purdue could be a loss. At Cal, Washington State, it feels like there's some wins in there. Then it's at Boise State, at Air Force, at Nevada, Colorado State, San Jose State, UNLV. Here's the path to the playoff for Oregon State. It's buried in the schedule. If you have one or two losses, you're in play as a potential group of five team, but certainly a team that would be I think rated a little higher than the group of fives that are normally out there because they're playing Cal, Washington State, Purdue, Oregon. They're playing a schedule that's better than a group of five schedule. I just don't know if this team, this Oregon State team under Trent Bray in year one, 
with questions at quarterback, with questions on the offensive line, with who's leaving, who's going to replay, who are they getting in the portal. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of chaos. There's turmoil. It's why I picked against Oregon State in the bowl game against Notre Dame. There's too much turmoil. So it's the turmoil that gives me pause because this could be like everybody could look back and say, hey, Oregon State had a good first year under Trent Bray, and it could be something like 7-5, and 8-4 and four because of the schedule they're playing. But I still think there's an opportunity for Oregon State if they really put it together next season, if they beat Idaho State, if they win at San Diego State, if they can, they can win at Cal, if they can beat Washington State, I think Oregon State looks at the last half part of their schedule and goes, hey, we could be that group of five team that gets in there among the uh, among the at-large berths for the 12-team expanded playoff. So don't close the door on that. But the questions that they have to answer, Oregon State has to answer a question at quarterback. It has to get depth on the offensive line. Uh, it's got a running back in Damian Martinez. I like where they are there. I think uh, you, know, you have to ask yourself with the losses of Anthony Gold and Silas Bolden, in the transfer portal, can they find another wide receiver? There's a bunch of questions. But these are questions that a team like Oregon State can answer in the portal, answer in the offseason. Maybe they're better equipped than some of these Mountain West Conference teams to put it back together quickly. Like the hire of, of Keith Hayward, the defensive coordinator. I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Oregon State has. But an awful lot of chaos on the negative side and a favorable schedule on the positive side. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.